the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gap, episode 501, from Monday, May 12th, 2014. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your tips. We share your questions. We all like cool stuff found. And together, we all try to learn at least something new each and every time we come together. Today, we'll set that bar at three things new for you. This episode is sponsored in part by Gazelle at gazelle.com, where you can sell off all your old Apple stuff for cash real fast. And also by the folks at Drobo at drobo.com, makers of the fine Drobo 5D direct connected uh, attached storage and the 5N network attached storage. And we'll tell you more about both of those later in the episode here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun. Congratulations on making it through 500 episodes together, man. That was fun. I don't know how we, know how we pulled it off. I know. It's awesome. Thanks to, uh, thanks to everybody out there for, uh, for for the last 500 episodes and thanks to our great panel that we had in uh in episode 500 it was good i'm but I, all that said john i'm really have been excited uh for the last four or five days about this episode because it's uh we get to just do what we do which i which i like too so it's, you know it's all good that's all good anything uh anything to report john before we before we dive into yes. go i told you i had to report something here just because it's something that people have been asking for dave well then by all means well you know many people have been lamenting i believe that's right where they miss having colored labels in the finder yes right yes boy wouldn't it be great if somebody wrote a utility that actually got around this problem and gave them back to you i sure yeah well because we all know change is bad and we need things back the way they used to be (laughs) Well, the good news is, so I just got an update to uh, a utility that I like using, um, uh, Total Finder, and they just released Total Finder version 1.6. And guess what? Total Finder 1.6 has colored labels now. Oh, very nice. So, yes, you do have to pay for this. I believe it's $16 for a single user license. Uh, I've been... uh, there's a number of ways you can you cannot pay for a license. I think my in was being a member of the uh, media, though. I think I actually did. The, I, I I paid for it anyways, just because it's. Yeah, I like to do you know, that. There's so many things, um, you know, they've added some of the features to the finder. But yeah, he just released this uh, days ago. And, and when I saw the note in the release notes saying colored labels, I'm like, oh, awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Very so, cool. So things are much more obvious now and much more, in my opinion, if you've made use of colored labels, uh, much more usable in the Finder now. So uh, if you haven't checked out Total Finder, check it. And uh, you know, I'll put there's a link here to his blog entry talking about it. So uh, And hats off, man, to figure, figure that out. I think he had to jump through a few hoops to make that happen. That's great. Yeah, man. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. I know a lot of people are going to be happy about that. So, John, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can go check it out. Um, We've talked at, at times about the uh, Tor network, TOR, the onion router uh, network, which which is a way of uh, anonymizing your Internet traffic. 
And in a nutshell, for those of you that don't remember the discussion or weren't here for it, what Tor allows you to do is, or the way it works is you connect to uh, your computer connects to one uh, computer and then that computer connects to another and then at least one more, potentially more than that before your connection then goes out to wherever it is you want to uh, you want to go to. And, th- and what happens there, because you're connecting through at least three computers, you are separated so by so by enough from the destination that the destination that nobody even in the middle knows who you are, let alone uh, the person at the end. So it's a very uh, convenient way of routing your traffic automatically and anonymously. And uh, on the Mac, there has been this Tor browser bundle that is the easiest, though not the most secure way. You have to you have to be careful. You have to use it in the right way. If you start doing things like, say, entering your personal information, then the people on the other end are going to know who you are. But but there's also things like JavaScript that can kind of sometimes betray you and and identify your IP address and and things like that. So um, so you you've got to use things properly. But if you use the Tor browser bundle properly, you're fine. And, oh, and there's awesome. Well, there must be an iOS version of that, Dave. Well, there isn't. Right. And 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 it, I, I was disappointed in that as well. I'm like, oh, well, let me go to the website for Tor Browser Bundle. And I'm like, where's the iOS version? Right. Oh, no. yeah, exactly. And and there have been and there are I, we've checked out a bunch of different um, uh, Tor browsers for iOS. And the best one that we found really wasn't that great. It was called Onion Browser. And it didn't allow tabs and it was really flaky. And if you rotated your screen, it would do funny stuff, but it did work in that it connected you to the Tor network. And most importantly, it didn't do any funny stuff uh, like some other browsers that that some other Tor browsers that had come out. Um, I I suppose people that released these things figured, well, people might use these for nefarious purposes. So maybe they won't complain if, uh, if we put some spyware or something in there and, and make them into, you know, pieces of malware. So it's because of that, John, that we there was one that yeah. did that, I believe. And yeah, that made people nervous and that it somehow slipped through the app store approval process. How could that possibly happen? Well, how are they going to know? Right. I mean, it's going the traffic's going through the Tor network. So, you know, who knows? Right. So uh, when when this new browser uh, from Omar, I believe it's Omar Modi, uh, it might be Omar Modi. Uh, let me let me get that right. It is Omar Modi, I think. Uh at uh, gplexdb.com, but we'll put links in the show notes released not that long ago uh, and has been releasing updates since uh, a piece of software called red onion. And it sort of answers all of those issues with, with onion browser and it's 99 cents on the app store. So it's really not that expensive. And, uh, and I, I downloaded it and, and tested it, but and that it, and it did clearly connect to the Tor network. There was, or it, it certainly appeared to from inside the browser. But John, I went to you and I said, "Hey, I know you're Mr. Wireshark. So before we go tell our listeners about this, will you just run this on your network and look at the traffic with Wireshark and let me know uh, if you see anything funny or if it just looks like it's connecting to Tor and all as as it as it should be." And I talked to Omar before that too. And he said, Oh yeah, I totally understand. You gotta, you gotta check this out on your own, but, but trust me when I say that I'm not doing anything funny. So there was that, but which you may or may not have known John, but, but anyway, I asked you to Wireshark this thing and you found something interesting, a shortcoming, if you will, in Wireshark. And I don't know why it happened, Dave. So for those that don't know, Wireshark is, um, 
I guess we could call it a protocol analyzer or a packet sniffer. Sure. So what Wireshark does is it lets you monitor network traffic. Now, I'm almost certain, Dave, now it could have been on a different platform. And the thing is, Wireshark will let you see the traffic that is on the computer that it's running on, most certainly. But then in a lot of cases, you can also see traffic uh, depending on your environment and your network adapter and a bunch of other things. You may be able to see traffic that is being exchanged between other people on the network that you're connected to, whether it be wired or wireless. And I'm almost certain, Dave, the last time, now I've made a lot of changes to my network setup since sure. the last time I tried to do this. I think it may be because I have a newer um, airport or okay. it could be because I have now a monoprice uh, switch, gigabit switch in here or something else. Okay. But anyway, so I was running Wireshark and I was trying to monitor the traffic. So, you know, of course I went on, you know, both my iPad and my iPhone, you know, looked at the IP address and then I started looking through the packet capture in Wireshark to see the IP address uh of either of my iDevices and they only showed up very rarely for what's called broadcast traffic, which is traffic that gets sent to everybody on the network. But I wasn't seeing the traffic from um, the uh, browser that you found, Dave. I'm like, well, this isn't right. This, this is no good, man. Right. Cause I want to make sure that they're not doing anything funky because there was a case where, as we mentioned, someone had a version of Tor that was doing things other than Tor. Right. <laughs> and that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I do? And then I think you and I bounced it back and forth. And actually, we found a message um, on the, one of the Wireshark support boards. As it turns out, I think it was from the person that wrote, a, uh, wrote, wrote the program saying, hey, guys, why don't you come and check this out? What do I mean by this, Dave? I don't know if I'm going to get the name right here. You can um, say the name, though. It's called Dabuki. 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 So yeah, so somebody posted a message saying, hey, if you want to monitor traffic on the network and see, you know, especially wireless traffic uh, from other devices, why don't you try running this thing called the Buki? And I'm like, oh, cool. So I decided to check it out. You can download a trial version. Um, and sure enough, it has a mode where you can actually, so, so first it has a mode where it'll scan, probably doing a broadcast broadcast ping or something like that it'll show you all of the ip addresses of all the devices on the network that you're connected to and sure say, oh that's cool but then the cool part dave and then i got in touch with the author who uh you know told us uh, the some of the trickery here is you can actually uh, pick any one of the ip addresses and then say oh okay i want to see all the traffic uh, i'm coming to and from this ip address and, and john didn't mean to sound evil that's still just core audio and mavericks when uh when that happens so keep going john it's fun <laughs> we like it it's good it happens by surprise it's awesome i love it um and so i got in touch with the author and i wrote him a thing and, and the thing is i know dave again he explained in you know he explained a lot of things that i already knew about networks as far as you know being a switch and you're not supposed to see broadcast and broadcast and, yeah, but, and stuff but i'm like going to stop you right there i'm glad you understand stop those me. but our listeners don't so what uh, or may not I, I don't mean to to in, to uh, I, no, I make no I'll assumptions about the knowledge level, which is why I want to explain this when what, what the problem with Wireshark is that it shows you all the traffic that your network device sees. And when I mean your network device, I mean either your airport connection or your Ethernet connection. And, and your that's the computer that it's running on. Every bit of information that passes across that network connection, it will show you. However, 
there's a lot of data on your network that doesn't pass across each computer's internet connection or each computer's network connection. And that's just in, in the interest of efficiency. There's all there's security reasons, too, but but really it was designed with efficiency. You don't need every computer getting every bit of data that's sent to any other computer on the network. In fact, it's better if you don't. It's better if each computer only sees the data that it needs to send or receive. So switches work that way. When you plug Ethernet devices into switches, things get decided and it says, OK, you're only going to get the traffic meant for you. And that's that. And wireless networks for obvious efficiency reasons also do the same thing. They don't just barf all the traffic for every device on the network off to you and vice versa. All the traffic from each wireless device doesn't just get barfed to everybody. And that was the problem with Wireshark. Your, your iOS device is a wireless device. So it, it's very, you know, compartmentalized on the traffic. It's very segmented. And your Mac had no reason to see what your iOS device was doing, mm. communicating out on the Internet. There's, that, that's, that would be inefficient if your network ran that way. So it was doing everything it was supposed to and not at all what you wanted. But Dabuki, as you said, finds a way around that. It's actually pretty creative. Well, the way he gets around it is something that is deep within the bowels of TCP IP. And you will see this if you run Wireshark or, or any packet scanner. And it's a, a method called ARP, or Address Resolution Protocol. And what happens is that network equipment will often send out a message saying, yeah, hi, um, you know, who owns this IP address or this hardware address? Um, you know, let me know so I can do the right thing. Yeah. Now, the thing is, it's neither good nor evil, but you can use um, an ARP packet to redirect traffic where... I don't know if I want to say it shouldn't go, but you, you may be able to redirect the traffic to other places that you'd like it to go. Let, let's put it that way. Yeah. Essentially, what you can do is have one computer masquerade as other computers simultaneously. So so what this Dabuki does is it allows you to say, hey, all the traffic that's destined for that iPad over there. Uh, you go ahead and, and send it there, because, of course, that's where it's supposed to go. But also send it to me. And that was the trick that we were missing with, with Wireshark. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we could have done it from the terminal, but Dabuki makes it way easier to do this. Well, yeah. If we, if we knew how to craft or, or yeah, if we crafted the appropriate art packet, that's um, right. That would happen as well. Dabuki does that for you. And actually I think he informed me is that once you do put Dabuki in this mode, then if you do run Wireshark, you will see you Wireshark will also see right. the traffic of others. That, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So, um, so very clever way of um, letting you see what you want. <laughs> right. And, and they do. I, it, I think it is important to, to state that, you know, our our initial path down this uh, this rabbit hole was all for for all with good intentions. Right. But a lot of the things that we wound up doing here, especially this one where we were, you know, essentially hijacking or sniffing traffic intended for only for another device is something that certainly could be used for uh, for nefarious purposes, too. We have yet to use it for those purposes. Um, and, and I don't encourage you to use it for those purposes. You use it for whatever you need to use it for. And we leave it at that. But uh, but thus far, I, I, at least I can say I haven't used it for any nefarious purposes, John. And uh, and uh uh, we'll leave it at that. Right. But it did work. And when you tested it, 
with this red onion browser, the initial, I mean, this, this took what I thought was going to be a five minute thing for you. This took, you know, us both like two weeks of, of research and, and actually quite a bit of fun. But when you finally did test it against red onion, what did you find? Well, everything that I saw in the packet exchange, none of it was traffic that surprised me. It all appeared to be traffic that was a Tor connection being established. Yeah. That I didn't see it going anywhere other than, because I also did this, actually, when I ran Tor, you know, the Tor browser on my Mac, in that case, what I did is actually disabled some things in a little snitch, and I watched little snitch kind of looking over my shoulder saying, oh, you're establishing a Tor section? Okay, well, all right, it's going from here to here, you know, and here's the port, and here's the IP address, and I'm like, so... So I, I compared the two and they looked similar. So I, I have a high confidence level that Red Onion is in fact doing uh, what it claims to. So I, I did the same thing. W once you hipped me to Dabuki here, I, I ran the same test because once you have Dabuki, it's so easy to do this. And uh, and it's actually really handy to do it to an iOS device because they don't tend to send a lot of extra traffic. Occasionally you see push notifications coming through and back and forth, uh, which is cool. But yeah, just like you, John, I found that that, you know, once I got that Tor connection, it didn't matter what websites I tried to connect to with that browser. I never saw anything new get created. There was just that one connection to the Tor network and that was it. And then I figured, well, I have a, and I, I had my son next to me, so I was showing him this. I'm like, see, when we go to this, when we go to Safari and browse, you get all this data that shows up here. When we go to this Tor thing, nothing. And I, I said, well, let's test it with, um, the VPNs that we have set up, because not only do I have a VPN set up here at the house, I've got one set up at my dad's house and, and other places. And I said, so let's connect to, to granddad's house, you know, to my son. And uh, and then once we connect there, let's see if Safari, you know, if traffic on Safari shows anything and it shows nothing. All you see is the one VPN connection and nothing else. No DNS lookups, zilch. And uh, so it, it was like, great. This is, you know, these tunnels work like they're supposed to which was cool to see. And then John, I had a, an interesting thing happen about three days later, my son came home from school and, Oh, and I had, I had said, let's set you up with the VPN on your, on your iPhone. That way, if you ever need to do anything, you know, if you're connecting, if you're in like a coffee shop or, you know, anything like that on a public network, you can use this. And he said, is it okay if I use it a lot? And I said, sure, it doesn't matter. We don't have Comcast currently doesn't have any bandwidth limits here at the house. So, Sure. Use it for whatever you want. I said, I'll let you know if that ever changes. This is great. Three or four days later, he comes home from school. He says, hey, uh, you know, that VPN thing we set up, it works great. I said, oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear. He says, yeah, the school had blocked traffic to uh, to and from Instagram years ago. He said, but, you know, it hit me the other day. I've got this VPN. They have no idea. There's, you know, it's going to tunnel to the house and then the house gets to Instagram. Right. And he said, so I turned it on and sure enough, Instagram came right up <laughs> like that's awesome. Uh, I guess. <laughs> so, you know, so there you go. That's, uh, well, Dave, I think he essentially in a roundabout way did what we suggested in 500, which was to circumvent part of the system that the school had in place. That's right. To prevent access to Instagram by using a VPN, yeah. which I think was also, well, I, I don't know how the school blocks that if they use open dns or, or something like no that. it's but, not a dns thing because i have tried it oh it's the, not okay. i have well i haven't tried instagram at the school but but there are i use the vpn at the school all the time because i can't get to my email the right way and there's all this other stuff i you know so i just turn on a vpn i don't care about it but i did try doing like google's dns and it did not allow me to bypass so it it's more 
it, it, there's more to it than that. Yeah. Why would they block Instagram? I mean, how are, how are the kids going to send pictures of their food to each other? I mean, come on. I don't know. I know. I know. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe they want to, you know, so, so then what they've convinced the kids to do is not use the Wi-Fi network at school and just use the, um, you know, their cell data, which is like, you know, I feel like we should, as the parents, we should go to the school and say, uh, Hey, what's going on here? Why are, you know, if we're going to pay, if we, the parents of all the kids at the school are going to pay for the bandwidth for them to access Instagram, I'd rather pay for that through the Wi-Fi network at the school because that's just our tax dollars. It doesn't, you know, it's all the same as opposed to paying for the wireless bandwidth, which is far more expensive per, uh, per megabyte. Mm. So, you know, there you go, but it was fun. I'm glad we, uh, we found Dabuki oh and all this. So there yeah. you go. Now, Melissa brings up a good question. Make sure everybody knows. If, what are you I talking about? This is violating some sort of policy. Who mm-hmm. says this, John? Well, in our chat room, Dave, here, how, how do you get our chat room, you may ask? And I would say that um, while we're having the show here, if you go to MacGeekGap.com slash stream, you can go to our live audio and uh, also text chat. There you go. But uh, one of our uh, esteemed uh, uh, members in the chat room here was questioning whether by accessing the VPN, is that violating some sort of uh, policy at the school? And, you know, probably it may be. I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it is, but it, it's a policy that I would happily uh, support a, 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 either a revision or certainly a review of it. If, if in fact, that does violate it, uh, because, again, the kids are accessing it anyway. I'd rather we just do it through the, you know, through the school's network. So well, you told me that even early on, I guess, uh, in, in the earlier grades, I think you're, they would prohibit um, kids from having cell phones or using cell phones. That was a long age. time ago. Oh, okay. They got over that. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 Things have changed in the last 10 I years. You told me your daughter did the, uh, kind of the hand, uh, the, the, this is not the phone you're looking for. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. All right. You know, our, uh, our, our first sponsor for the show that I mentioned is gazelle at gazelle.com. And one of the best things, uh, they, they just make it so they're awesome. Gazelle is for so many reasons. Uh, the whole purpose of what they do is to make it super easy to take a device that you have and no longer use or don't plan on using anymore and turn it into cash. That's what they do. You visit their website and they've got an awesome website. It works on iOS really well. I've, I've gone through the entire process on iOS and not just for the reasons of being able to talk about it on the show. I've actually sold things through their iPhone interface, like while I'm, while I'm on wireless network, right? Not a wireless network while I'm on, on, you know, 4g or whatever. It, it's super efficient, super clean. You just go to the website before you even give them your name or address or anything. You tell them what you have and you just select, you say, okay, I've got a, you know, an iPhone uh, five and I want to sell it. And they say, okay, great. Uh, what carrier, how big, what condition is it in? I think those are the questions. Oh, and was it engraved? I think, I think it's, it's worth about $4 less if it was engraved, if, if memory serves me. And then, uh, and then you just go through the process and they ask you, so they ask you these questions and they give you a price. They say, okay, this is what we'll give you for it. If everything you say is true and that's actually the phone you have. Great. That's, this is what we'll give you for it. And if you say no, then you walk away and they don't even know who you were. Uh, if you say yes, then they say, okay, great. Either log into your account if you've got one or give us your name, your address, your email. We'll send you a box, no charge to you. 
They send you the box. You put your device in the box. You wipe it out first. They give you all the instructions, including a shipping label and tape to tape the box back up. You ship the box back to them. They open the box. They say, hey, this is what uh, Dave said he was going to send us. Awesome. Send him his payment. If you want it via PayPal, they'll send you PayPal. If you want a check, they'll send you a check. If you want an Amazon uh, gift card, they'll actually, I think they throw in an extra 5% if you do it that way. So it's awesome. And, uh, and they've been doing it for a long time. We have, it's funny, you, you know, when, <laughs> with this show, John, we hear about people's problems, right? It's what we do. It's the questions that we get typically people with problems. And, and that holds true when people have issues with, um, with any kind of service provider out there, sponsor or not, we have never gotten an email about Gazelle that is not just like glowing with praise. These guys are awesome. I've, like I said, I've had a handful of experiences with them. I don't have that much stuff to sell to them. So I haven't had the experience of doing it hundreds of times, but you all have. And every email we get is about how awesome they were and how they went above and beyond for customer service and all of that. So I highly recommend it. Check them out. Gazelle.com through the process of, of checking out when you actually do, uh, you know, give them your name and all that. They'll ask you where you heard about it from select Mac geek Geb from the list. It's right there. They make it super easy and it lets them know that, uh, that you folks are listening. So we appreciate it. Thanks. Gazelle gazelle.com. All right, John, let's, um, Michael hasn't, has an interesting one that I've been eager to, uh, I've been eager to, to do here, but I can't find it. Are you still with me, John? Did I lose you? No, I'm with you. Okay. Yeah, um, the sound. Yeah, Michael says, um, here is the sound, and we're going to play you the sound, but I'm going to tell you, tell you about it first. Here's the sound that's coming out of my MacBook Air that I recorded with my iPhone. The sound lasts for about four minutes, then it stops, and my internet connection goes away. I can reboot, and after about three reboots, I get a reboot where, without the sound, and everything works fine. Have you ever heard this type of sound before? Any guesses? I have no idea what this sound is, John. And I don't think any, I posted this to our Google plus page. It, I posted it to Twitter. Nobody has an idea. It sounds, it sounds very close to, but not quite Dave. So, so it's, it's uh, once I heard it, I was like, you know, I know I've heard that here before. And I think it's close to, but not exactly the find my iPhone phone or find my eye device oh i wonder sound. if it's find my mac and it does find that my mac it, it didn't sound exact now it could be it got a little distorted in recording it that's sure. what it sounded like to me now why it would be playing without you getting an additional alert because typically when you get that sound on your mac so if you tell your mac or if you go to find my iphone or find my mac uh you know the control center through a web page and you say tell the device to make a sound in addition to a sound, you typically get something else, like a, a dialogue. Yeah. Right? You don't just hear the sound. So I, if he's just hearing the sound and not getting a dialogue. Yeah. It, no. It, and that totally, we're, we're getting a bunch of people in the chat room, Brian and, and Melissa, both. In fact, they were both guests on, uh, on 500, uh, saying that this is, without question, find my Mac. Um, oh. Yeah. So, and it makes sense, right? Because- after it sends its pings out for however many minutes, it shuts down the internet connection. So, uh, so there you go. Now, um, 
Somebody else is saying, is it Prey at PreyProject.com? I've never heard of Prey Project, but it is a anti-theft thing. Kind of like, kind of like uh, find my Mac or find my iPhone. Uh, they say it works on iOS. Uh, I'd be curious to see how that works, but uh, we'll put a link in the show notes anyway, because it's coming from a trusted source. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I suppose what you'd want to do is, um, dig around in your system preferences for iCloud there and see if in fact, find my Mac is enabled. And I would change my password on, uh, on iCloud as quickly as possible there, Michael, because it's pot. It, it, if, if you did not initiate this, find my Mac thing and you may have like weeks ago, right. But if you didn't initiate it, then someone else did. And that's, that's not a good thing. So, yeah, yeah, and Brian in the chat room says he just, there you go. Well, that's my Mac, but again, I'm doing it while it's, I'm already logged into it and all that. So, uh, okay. But I'm getting a dialogue saying, find my Mac alert. And I have to click okay saying go away. But now I think, I think the advice is uh, certainly change your password without question. And then turn my turn, find my Mac off. I would reboot the Mac, turn it back on, reboot the Mac and, Hmm. uh, and take it from there. There you go. All right. Well, that's interesting. Thanks everybody in the chat room. And uh, hopefully we all, I certainly learned something. I, I don't know why I didn't even think of that. I'm glad you did, John. That's awesome. 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 All right. You want to take us to Louie, John? Uh, Louis, yeah. Louie. Louie. All right. Yeah, yeah, years, I think it's Louie. So, yeah, um, it is Louie. He's from Montreal. All right. So, so we've been having a back and forth with, uh, uh, with Louie here. So first he had a problem with establishing a VPN connection. And I think actually the solution was <laughs> delete the VPN entry and enter all the data again. And I think that turned out to fix his problem, which is kind of bizarre. Must That's true. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Could yeah. Been. Because we looked at all his settings and it was like, dude, it looks like everything is, you know, everything is correct. You know, yep. the IP address, the user and, and, and it was. Yeah. So, uh, Right. But he says, now that I've managed to run a working VPN server for my Synology, with your help, I would like to connect to a Mac Mini on my home network through my laptop on the road. I have no idea if this is a monumental task or a simple type of thing. Can you help me out with this? I have set up my Synology to run a VPN server with the following settings, and we're not going to go into details because he set it all up properly. Sure. Um, it's pretty straightforward in the Synology, as it is, uh, well, I'll give you a OS 10 server here in a moment. Right, because actually I had someone, so a little little tangent, but someone on one of my internet uh, uh, pals said, uh, how can I set up a VPN server? And I'm like, well, here's a pointer. And I pointed him to the uh, OS ten server page. And he's like, oh, I didn't realize OS ten server had a VPN. It's like, yes, it does. So back to Louie here. So I have managed to connect my laptop to my VPN server on Synology via PPTP. I see that it is connected correctly, no error messages, but when I run Finder on my laptop, I don't see my Mac Mini at home. Is it because the IP addresses handed up by my VPN server are not in the same range as my router? My router and home network is operating in the 192.168 range, or is it a port forwarding issue? If you could just steer me in the right direction, that would be great. And here's the truth, Dave. (laughs) Here's what's happening. So I wrote back and I said, I assume what you mean. I'll tell you now. Right now, I assume what you mean is that you are not seeing your computer or other devices in the shared section of the Finder sidebar. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, which which is true, right? It doesn't it doesn't show up when you connect via a VPN as opposed to back to my Mac, which is a little bit different. But when you connect via a VPN, that right. you don't see those machines appear magically via Bonjour in your in your sidebar. Right. Now there is now there's one article here that, that you have an article which may have solved this problem. I, I I think it does touch on this, Dave, but it's a it's an article OS 10 Mavericks. If you can't find the computer you want to connect to. So that could have solved this problem, or I think I, I think it does touch on this as well. So you know, we'll link to that article. Sure. But then I did a little more digging, and yeah, like you, Dave, I I, I believe we talked about this before, but I believe the issue is that Bonjour, the Bonjour service that is used to advertise items so they appear in the sidebar, doesn't normally transverse a VPN. In addition, I think it doesn't transverse routers and, and other things. So if it goes through too many jumps, yes. Bonjour doesn't work. It's fine if you're on your own local network, but if you're jumping through other hoops, then yeah, you're probably not going to see things there, which led him to believe he wasn't set up right, but that was not the case. Um, now, I did find also another article, which I think he can dig in. So in some VPN configurations, you can set it up so that it will uh, allow you. And th this is an article I found that actually talks about how you can do this with open VPN um, to allow it to see Bonjour. Isn't that cool? And I think a similar strategy could be used. But what he should be able to do, so this gets to be a little annoying because Bonjour is handy, certainly. Um, what he should be able to do, though, Dave, is uh, connect if he knows the IP address. Um, and this is where you got to know a little, little mojo here, which we're going to share with you. And it's how do you address, for example, a file server. So say you want to get to a file server, like an AFP, uh, Apple File Protocol. Mm -hmm. right? Something like that. Uh, say you want to get to a uh, server on your network once you're connected via VPN um, that's running AFP, doing the Apple file sharing. Well, uh, there's two ways you could do it, Dave. So actually one, which is kind of handy, you could do it through Safari. And you type it in like a normal URL. But instead of typing HTTP, you type AFP colon slash slash. Now, the other place you could do this is you could do it in the Finder. So you could go to the Go menu, then the Connect menu, and it's going to ask you for the same thing. And you just type the same thing, AFP colon slash slash, and then the IP address. And at that point, it'll make the connection, and he'll be prompted for the username and password, and everything's great. I, I would um, offer a... That will work. No question about it. Yeah, and it's a, it's a great way go. to do it, and it unfortunately is still kind of the default in that it's what my fingers know to do. But right. in Mavericks, of course, we have issued AFP when we can run SMB2 uh, because SMB2 is way faster and way more efficient oh, than, right. than AFP. And it, in fact, if you have two Mavericks machines and there's not something wonky going on with your network, SMB2 is what they will use to connect to each other uh, for file sharing. So my uh, advice, especially over a, a, a WAN, a, a, the Internet you know, a wide area network would be to use SMB uh, because I think it's, I think it's more efficient for that type of stuff. So, so instead of typing AFP colon slash slash in the go menu, you type uh, SMB colon slash slash. And there you go. So that that's all that, that, but what you, what you, what you described works and I do it all the time. And then I think, Oh, I should have done it with SMB, but I don't, but I should. So there you go. But we're going to peel the onion here, Dave. Because so I wrote that and then got a reply saying thank you. You're welcome. 
No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem. And then to continue, I realized I was not very clear in my email. Just to clarify, yes, I don't see Mac Mini in the shared section. So, so I got that right. But then he said, my ultimate goal is to share the screen with my Mac Mini via the VPN. I'm planning to run mail app with spam. That's all. It doesn't matter what he's doing. He just wants to share the screen. So he didn't want to do a file server connection, which is one thing that you could certainly do with the puncher. He wanted to do a screen share. Now, this leads to the question, Dave, what is the special sauce that you need to make? Uh, and you kind of hinted at this is that there's many different URL schemes to connect to things. That's so right. If you want to connect to do a screen share, the secret sauce here is you type VNC colon slash slash and the IP address of the machine. And what that'll do is launch the screen sharing application and to peel the onion yet another layer, Dave. This is actually an application that you normally cannot run because it's not in the applications folder. Where is it, you may ask? And I'm going to tell you, it's in system library core services. But again, if you type VNC, it will launch the screen sharing app, uh, which is the same thing that happens if you try to connect to a machine on Bonjour. And that did it for him. And he said, thanks. So... That's awesome. That's it. it was a great adventure because I actually had verified this, you know, via, you know, my various side devices and VPNs. And actually I've been setting up. So I actually have now an open VPN server and a PPTP VPN both set up on my Synology. And, and we're going to get a lot of listeners. And I know this, um, but and you know it too, telling us that point to point tunneling protocol PPTP is uh, is not nearly as secure as we would all like to think. And that we really should be using something else and not at all doing that. But by golly, it's so darned easy to set that up that well, uh, that I, I fall for that trap all the time. Well, you, the only thing I'd say is that when you so you and I have tussled over this in the past, is that a, so a VPN um, doesn't guarantee security to me, it almost always implies it. But the thing is, when at least when when I set up these connections, most of the clients that I use will say, okay, well, give me the IP address, the username, the password. And by the way, what crypto level would you like to use? Now, you could certainly say none, or you could say 40-bit or 128-bit. I think that's what you're getting at, is that a VPN doesn't necessarily imply good security, but I guess what I'm saying is that you can certainly force it, depending on what you're using. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess so. I, th- I thought even if you turned on security, the um, the the authentication of it is what's insecure, right? That the handshake that it does to exchange and, and, and the methods by which it exchanges your username and password are using some ancient and, and known to be crackable uh, security. Now, whatever it uses once you're connected may or may not be any better than that. But I, I think that it's, is it chap CHAP that they usually use with PPTP? We're getting really geeky now, but, um, but I, I think that's where the issue is, is that your password is like oh, okay. super the initial yeah. password exchange. Now, actually you bring up a good point because I did this as well. So I was verifying this. So yeah, somebody, no, somebody with, point. somebody with, um, with Dabuki, right. Could see that traffic and then potentially, uh, uh, you know, then, then hack at that. So. You're correct in that. Yeah. So I actually did this as well. So if you, if you're using OS 10 to connect to a VPN, what you can do is when you're in the network, uh, pref pane, you can create a VPN, uh, connector, right? Right. 
And one of the things that it does to get to your point, Dave, just to lead people to the right place to go. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, so, so what it'll ask for is server address, account name, encryption, as I said. And so like for here, the one that I defined for PPTP, it says, you know, 128 bit or 40 bit, and you probably want 128. But then there's a button that says authentication settings. And this is where I, this is getting to your point. And it says, oh, well, would you like to use a password? And I think that's probably the weakest form. Then it has a whole bunch of other things, which uh, you, you and I should actually look into. But then it lists four other methods for authenticating. RSA Secure ID, which is one of these little... But I don't think you can people. do RSA Secure ID with PPTP, right? I don't think that's an option. You can do that yes. with, with well, L2TP. I'm, I am seeing it in front of me right now. I, I have a v PPTP VPN connector defined in my network. Okay. Campaign. Yep. And when I click on authentication settings, I see password. Oh, yeah. RSA Secure ID certificate and we've talked about those kerberos and crypto card which uh, i believe is a hardware device yep so i believe password is probably the weakest of the five if you can use any of the others those would be better but no i get what you're saying yeah, yeah. no it's good to warn people about that is yeah i think that initial exchange is the achilles heel of the whole the, the point to the point tunneling protocol yeah right yeah all right, fun. All right, let's uh, let's see what Daniel has to say here. Maybe we have an answer for him. Hey, John, Dave, this is Daniel. Uh, listen regularly to the podcast. Get a great deal out of it. Thanks very much. Um, so I thought I might ask you if you could help me with a, some strange issue I have. iPhone five, learning version seven point one. Um, I have an iCloud account on it only for mail, contact calendars. I deleted the mail um, and reset it, but the issue remains. And it is this: when I do a general search, you know, pull down on the on the main on the home screen, do a search, I end up at times, depending on the letters, with a top hit, which appears to be uh, it, it behaves like a template for an email. I mean, it has a person to whom it's addressed, and the subject really saved in it. And it comes out, it's the top hit, depending on the wording, and the wording would be the subject or the name of the person it's being sent to. Um, and I don't always type that subject, but if I type the combination of the letters, um, then it will come up as a top hit. If I tap on it, it's like it's automatically created an email to this person with that subject in the line that is the search result. And it's really weird. And I don't know where that resides on the phone, why it's sitting there. Again, I deleted the email account, uh, you know, turned off the mail syncing, not, not the whole account, uh, turned off the mail syncing, turned it back on, uh, did a search again, and there it is. Now, if I do that same search on the iPad, um, I don't believe it's there. Sorry. Let me just do a quick check there. Well, we'll assume it wasn't there. Um, yeah, there. Unfortunately, there's no Apple prescribed way of cleaning errant cache files off of your iOS device other than wiping it clean and either restoring from a backup, which in this case, I think actually would work uh, because the backups don't tend to store all that cache file stuff. It will rebuild it, which is what you want. Uh, or 
if that doesn't work, then wipe the device and don't restore from a backup. But it, there, there's this, there's no middle ground. It's not like a Mac where we can dig in easily and fix this stuff. However, sometimes software out there can help. And uh, one of those pieces of software, and I don't know if that this is going to help you or not, Daniel, is called Phone Clean. And one of the things it does is it cleans out what shows up in iTunes as all of that yellow other data uh, is one of the things it does. It does quite a few things, but that's one of them. And a lot of that other data is cache files and things like that. It, there's, there's other stuff in there too, but those cache files are there and forcing your iPhone to rebuild them can, can sometimes solve these pesky problems that otherwise would take, you know, a shotgun approach. So I definitely shoot a backup of your iPhone before you mess with this. Uh, I've never had it cause me any trouble, but I always shoot a backup anyway. Uh, but, but then, uh, then try running phone clean. I, it, 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 well, if you have a backup, it can't hurt. So I'll leave it at, I'll leave it at that other than of course, time and restoring from the backup. But any thoughts on this, John? No, <laughs> nothing, none at all. No. Okay. <laughs> it befuddles me. I've, I've, it, it is one of those befuddling things. Um, it's a, fr it's a frustration with, with iOS. I, I get it, but it doesn't mean I like it. So, all right. Well, we will move on to Robert then, John. Why don't you, uh, you've got some thoughts on that. Why don't you take us there? Oh boy. Yeah. And I got the, some thoughts for Robert. I think this is Robert, the graphics guy. All right. So he claims I'll, 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 I'll believe him on that one. <laughs> Um, so Robert writes, when I try to install this app, I get blocked. Any idea why? And he actually attached an installer to an email, which normally you would be insane to launch. But since this is someone that I know, Robert, we've met in the past and we're, we're Facebook pals and all that. I trusted that it was, he wasn't trying to ruin my day. <laughs> Yeah, I took it. So, so I took a, and actually I wasn't able to, to duplicate the behavior. So then I had to kind of figure out what, what exactly did Robert mean by saying he gets blocked? And it's an app that is supposed to allow importing images into GoDaddy's email composer. Um, and he needs to do this for a client because he's the graphics guy. And he said he called GoDaddy support and they seem useless. And guess in this case, I would have to kind of agree, Dave, because I figured it out. <laughs> yeah, he's not alone, though. There's there's lots of apps where this happens, where you, you try to install and nothing. Right. It, it says. Right. So can't, can't do it. You, 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 this app is off limits uh, and and there's no, hey, I'm OK to bypass option. It's just OK. And that's it. That's all you get. Well, so first I had to decipher what Robert was saying. So if by blocked, he meant. He got a dialogue saying can't be open because it is from an unidentified developer, which I believe was the case. And I think this was confirmed. Yeah. That's because that's the way that Robert has gatekeeper configured. What and is it, gatekeeper? And it's well, also hey, the way gatekeeper is configured by default on, on every correct. installation. Right. So gatekeeper is a feature of OS 10 that prevents you from installing bad software. And, and there are three levels. One is ultra paranoid. One is kind of a go between and one is I don't care. And, and it's, it's set up for the go between, which is if something is not signed, 
And that was my response. So one, we have, um, you know, and I'll put it in our chat room here. So Apple, Apple has an article about this and we will link to it. But the thing was, he was getting the response that you get when an app is not signed. Now, it's unfortunate because you would think somebody like GoDaddy, who I assume has a couple of bucks here and there, would sign their application or their installer, but they chose not to. It, it actually, on them. to my knowledge, it requires no money whatsoever to sign your apps in order to have them for sale well, in you Apple's. you got to get a cert and you got to run a process or person, but it, it takes time a little bit of time is money right yeah but we're talking probably 10 minutes to 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 do this right it's it and you register your certificate with apple and that's it you do not have to pay for a mac developer account to do this you have to pay for a mac developer account if you want your app included in the store but otherwise you can just do this for free so it, it really isn't a big deal so go ahead right so to me, it's either shame on GoDaddy for not doing this or shame on whoever they hired to write this app for not signing the app. Because, come on, you're right. just making life difficult for people like Robert. Yeah, exactly. But we're going to make life easy for Robert because there's a way to get around this for apps that say, yo, I'm not signed. What you do, uh, and this is a little uh, way to get around this, is you control click on the app in question that gives you this uh, error. And then you say open in the contextual menu. What will then happen is you will be given another warning, but you will be given an option to say open again. So if you say open, open, that will then launch the installer. Yeah, you you right click on the app and choose open and then you'll get a similar but not the same dialogue. Right. Right. And and this dialogue now has the option to bypass by clicking open. Uh, and it says, Hey, you got to know what you're doing. So it's very similar. It used to be that double clicking, uh, something was exactly the same as control clicking it and choosing mm-hmm. open in this instance. It is not exactly the same. And the, the control clicking or right clicking of, of, uh, an installer or an application will allow you to bypass gatekeeper. So it's and a I, slight nuance. I like it because it's, if you're geeky enough or you're, someone that listens to our podcast. Sure. And I say R because it's not mine. It's not yours, David. It belongs to all of us. So right. if you know enough to, to know this secret handshake, then it's probably okay for you to, to take this, you know, circumvent this uh, mechanism. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I agree. It's, it's the right way to handle this because if there was just simply, if, if, if double clicking on it, uh, brought up a, a dialogue that said, are you sure you want to launch this? Everybody would say yes, because it's how it works. But if you have to sort of intentionally go out of your way to make that happen. And the nice part is if it's an application that you're going to run over and over again, this only happens on the first launch. Once you have successfully launched it by bypassing this, then after that you could put it in your dock and click it and it'll launch automatically. There's no problem at all. So it's just the first time that you need to do this hokey pokey. And then, and then right, your Mac remembers. Cause, yeah. Cause my recollection is that, and I think they've gotten better, but, but at least under like, you know, OS is like windows XP. They would come up and say, Hey, this isn't signed. You want to ignore this warning? And yeah, like you said, David would say, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'll ignore it. Which yeah. most people would take the path of least resistance here. They offer a bit of resistance. Right. <laughs> and if you know how to get around it, then, then it's fine. Good. Yeah. All right. So I had a, um, I, I, I was, I was showing somebody, 
uh, uh, something that I keep in Google Docs. And I actually keep a lot of you and I actually keep some stuff in Google Docs, John. We we keep a we yes. have a Mac Geek Gab shared folder and we put all kinds of things in there. Mostly our agendas that we pass uh, that, or that we edit collaboratively. Uh, and it's great. Google Docs is awesome for that kind of thing, because it, it doesn't matter what computer you're on. In fact, now you don't have to do it uh, on the Web uh, in in uh on iOS, there's there's specific apps for Google Documents and Google Spreadsheets, and it's awesome. And they're all free. But uh, once you have a lot of stuff in Google Docs, especially if you have multiple folders that you share with people, it can be a little bit pedantic to launch up, you know, or, I'm sorry, I, I call it Google Docs because that's what it used to be called. But it's Google Drive. So you go to drive.google.com in your browser and you sort of navigate to wherever you want to get and you know, if you've got folders within folders, you're navigating three levels down just to get to this file that you open every single day. Well, what Google Docs lets you do is star any file you want. And and these are only starred for you. So so the files that I star, even if they happen to be files that you and I share, John, they do not show up as start for you. It's only for me. And it's always for me until I unstar that particular file. And then what you can do when you launch Google Drive Instead of digging through your folders, you just click starred on the left and now it's going to show you all your starred files and you can either sort by most recently modified or by name or, or what have you. And so that gets way more efficient, even more efficient than that is this. And here's my trick. Launch, go to drive.google.com, click on starred on the left, the word starred, and it's going to show you your list of starred things. Save that URL to your bookmarks bar. So now you have, and I just saved it as GD for Google Drive. So now I go and I click GD in any browser because, of course, I have my bookmark synced amongst all my devices. And boom, I'm right there at all my starred stuff. It's awesome. Way more efficient. And it, it makes the, the process of sharing multiple folders and all that stuff with people. It, it's completely seamless to me because they're all the documents that I need to work on are in my starred folder. And if I need something that's not, well, then I go dig. Uh, and maybe I'll star that if it's something I'm going to be working on regularly. So there's my tip for you with uh, with Google Drive. So uh, hopefully that comes in handy to several of you out there. I want to talk about our second sponsor for this show, and that is the folks at Drobo. Drobo.com. The uh, the original and we've talked about this before, but the original CEO, the original leadership team is actually back at Drobo. They they went off. They formed a company called Connected Data, which made a product called the Transporter. They're, they're now back at Drobo. And, and the current crop of products out from them uh, is, is, is theirs. And this stuff is, they're doing a really, really good job. They've got the Drobo 5D, which is their direct connect. Uh, it's a five bay device. Now what Drobo did and, and what they really kind of pioneered, especially in, in terms of the ease of use department uh, a long time ago, is the idea of having a box into which you put all your extra uh, SATA drives, and they don't have to be extra drives, but you put in up to five SATA drives, and it will magically manage the uh, space amongst all those drives, present it to you as one volume, if you like, uh, with the direct connected one, you can sort of manage it uh, in a couple of different ways, but makes sense to do it as one volume. And then... Uh, and then if you, and, and the drives can be of different sizes. So, and if you need to expand, well, that's where it gets really fun. You take out the smallest drive and replace it with something larger. And suddenly you now have more storage space to use. Same volume. You didn't have to delete your data. You didn't have to do anything magic. You just do it. And the 5D is a Thunderbolt device. 
And of course, when you've got multiple drives going, assuming those drives uh, are all of at least moderate speed, they don't even have to be that fast uh, because you've got, you know, so many of them in there. You can really get some killer performance out of this thing. You can also add an SSD accelerator card, an MSATA SSD accelerator card to the 5D to make it go even faster because then it's caching uh, the data that you're writing to it. So it can do the writes kind of asynchronously without the risk of losing data because it's an SSD. So, you know, you're good to go there. And uh, it, the, the five bay 5D uses three and a half inch SATA drives. And it really is easy. You just slide them in. If you want a network attached version, that's also super simple to use. That's what the 5N is for. Same concept, except instead of a Thunderbolt port, it's got a network port. And you connect it up. You can have multiple machines connect to it. You can actually set up a time machine volumes on it for your various computers. And uh, they really, they're really doing a great job with, uh, with all the new stuff they're doing over there at Drobo. So I highly, highly recommend you check them out. And I'm happy to have them on board as a sponsor, their, their direct connected stuff is uh, some of the easiest stuff I've ever used. I, I we see a lot of, uh, you know, different, I'll, I'll use the term raid, even though this isn't really raid it's well, Drobo calls it beyond raid. We see a lot of this stuff here. There's nothing direct connected. That's as simple to use as, uh, as what Drobo's doing, uh, especially when it comes time to, you know, just in, in expand your storage, take a drive out, put a new one in and, it does it. It, it, you know, it, it'll relay everything out. It might take a day depending on how much data you have on there and, and how much data you're moving around, but it takes care of it. And, uh, that's how it's supposed to be. So check them out. Drobo.com is the place to check them out and, uh, let them know, uh, let them know we sent you Drobo.com. All right, John, you want to take us to Brent? First though, Dave, you, you mentioned being back. Do you know who else is back, Dave? Jack is back. Ah, good. Are, are you recording this? Yeah, yeah. We're, we've been watching 24 with the kids. That's right. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't watched it, awesome, I think, in my and And, and I think the, uh, the new one, uh, so far, I'm interested. Yeah, live another day, right? Which Yeah, but yeah. it has the whole edge of your seat kind of multiple time frame, uh, you know, kind of cool, uh, cool stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. So. Hi, Jack <laughs> and Chloe. All right. So who do we have here? You said Brent, Brent, Brent. You know, you'd expect me to have that in front of me. And I do, Dave. Awesome. So Brent writes, I currently have a 27 inch iMac with a 256 gig with a 256 gig SSD and a separate, not fusion drive, two terabyte hard drive. Due to an Apple Care replacement, I will be getting a brand new 27-inch iMac with a 3-terabyte Fusion drive. My question, is my iTunes media folder, which is located on the Spindle... No, sorry. Okay. So, his iTunes library is located on an external 2-terabyte hard drive. Uh, I have multiple multiple backups of that through Time Machine, Backbase... Backblaze Cloud Backup, iTunes Match, bootable backup as well. What would be the easiest way when I get the new machine, which will have a three terabyte Fusion drive, to get my contents of the two terabyte Fusion drive to the new computer, or two terabyte drive, not Fusion, to the new computer? I think that's really the, the question, Dave. 
Yes. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, just how do so we? You and I tossed this back and forth because I, I unfortunately got a bit. Uh, there was a lot of uh, red herrings in here. Yes. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. No, the simple answer is I, I have. I currently or the simple the the the, the distillation of the question problem is problem statement. Yeah. The, there it is. The problem. Oh, it's been a long time since I've thought of that term. Uh, is that he's got all of his data spread across multiple drives and he wants to consolidate it, coalesce it, if you will, onto one drive and have it all just work smoothly. Right. And right. I'm going to assume that the only data, so it sounds to me like the only data that is on the external two terabyte drive is the iTunes library. Now there may be other data sure. but that was not stated. Yeah. For the sake of our discussion here, treat it that way. Right. It, yeah. Right. And yeah. in which case, if the way the system is set up now, is only iTunes is on the external drive. And here's what I do is first I would go into iTunes preferences advanced and make sure, and I believe this is the default, but make sure that keep iTunes media folder organized is checked. Cause that makes sure that all the contents of the iTunes library is contained in the iTunes folder. Then at that point, once you've made sure of that, then I would make a backup. And it Whoa, like wait, wait, yeah, even... but just checking that box does not make that. So it makes it so for the future and with anything you add, but not, it does not magically consolidate your library that you have to do as a manual step. After you check the box. All right. So, all right. So if the box, all right. So if it is checked, then you're cool. You're probably cool. Checked, what, what, what are you saying? If it's not checked, if it's not and checked, you then check it. Do you have to say you just quit iTunes? No, no, you have to oh. in iTunes. You have to Speak go to me, brother. Yep. You have to go to the file menu, library, organize library, and then check the consolidate files box. Um, and then hit OK. And that's going to bring everything into your iTunes music folder. If if. So with that, with, and, and I realize this is really confusing to talk about, especially without you seeing, uh, and by, by you, I mean our listeners seeing what we're talking about here. But in iTunes preferences, when you when you check the box that says keep iTunes music folder organized, that's for anything you add going forward. It will copy it into the iTunes music folder, which really is in in most cases the best way to manage it. But uh, But if you don't check that, then it lets you have your music and movies and everything uh, in different places and, and with just pointers from your iTunes library to it. If you want to consolidate everything though, uh, you first need to check that box. Then you go into file library, organize library, and then check the consolidate files box and hit okay. And that depending on how, uh, how many things need to be copied, that might take, 10 seconds or it might take 10 hours. Uh, but that's the, that's the process. And it, and if it does copy things in, it copies them. So you will have two copies of these one, wherever it started life and one in your iTunes music folder. So there you go. Thank you for the interjection. You bet. Because I think what I was going to mention in a moment here was touched on in what you just said, but but it's good you brought it up early because, yeah, I don't want to lead people astray. <laughs> but um, so once you have everything consolidated and iTunes is all organizing it, then as far as I know, um, 
just make a copy of the iTunes folder. Yeah. Copy well, it over and you should be okay on the new machine. If you copy over the iTunes folder, as long as you then go copy it in and then point iTunes on the new computer to be wherever you moved that folder in. I mean, you gotta, you've got to tell it, this is where my library is. Yes. Yeah. And then, and then once you do that, um, you may have, you may still have lingering issues. I've seen this where when you move things around, you do all the right stuff and you put the stuff in the right spot and you tell iTunes, here's where it is. Sometimes it takes your actual library file, a little nudge to get uh, in the right direction. So you may go to play a song and it comes up and it says, I can't find this one. Can you navigate to it for me? And you do, you have to go and navigate and say, this is where this song is. And you dig into your library and artists and all that stuff. Right. And then, and then you say, this is where the song is. Usually though, once you do that once it sort of says, ah, maybe everything else is here too. And it, it tries to intelligently sort of inherit that for everything else. You might have to do it, you know, half a dozen times throughout the, 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 you know, the process of playing music for the first week, but after that it should be okay. Okay. It's crazy. And I think all of this is summarized and I sent this to our friend Brent, um, but there is a wonderful article called iTunes for Mac, moving your iTunes media folder. Absolutely. It touches on everything. Uh, most of the points that, that you and I have both made. Dave. Yeah. With, with pictures, which for some of these steps is way better than hearing us try to describe it. Yeah. So I will make right. sure that's then, in the show notes. And I think at the end of the question, it was, uh, you know, there was a question, should I use migration assistant to do this? And, uh, I don't think just so. Just iTunes. I would say no, no, I, I would say follow the instructions in the iTunes in the article that we just mentioned. Yeah. Just talking about moving iTunes for other stuff. I migration assistant is, you know, I love it. It can be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I so for pulling over all your other stuff, if, if the Apple people aren't going to do that for you, which uh, I don't know if they are, because it sounds like, yeah, you're getting a, a swap. So maybe they'll do that for you. Right. Oh. Yeah, they may. If you bring it in. I mean, they, right. Yeah. If you ask them, they probably will. That's right. That's right. All right. All right. Let's see. I think we've got time for uh, for one more here, John. So we'll, we'll see if we can see if we can help Adam out. Adam writes. Uh, he has a tale of woe which was resolved fairly easily thanks to a current cloned backup drive. He says in a recent episode of Adam's uh, Adam Christensen's MacCast, he spoke about the need. He, uh, he had to clear the dynamic link editors library, the D or the DL, the dynamic link editors cache, D Y L D's cache. Having never done that on my MacBook pro 2011, I poked around in Onyx and saw under the automation tab, an option uh, to rebuild the D Y L D shared cache. Feeling intrepid, I selected it and hit execute. Things went south. I cannot remember all the warning and error messages that popped up. They were coming at me faster than tween girls to Justin Bieber. But in short, they notified me that my hard drive needed to be repaired. I attempted to reboot the computer. It shut down. And when it powered back up, it stuck on a blank light gray screen. All attempts to repair the drive using disk utility failed. I even tried booting from a USB Mavericks install disk and using disk utility to repair the hard drive from there. Long story short, I formatted the drive and restored from my most recent clone, one day old, thankfully. Now my computer is back to normal and all is well. Here is where I get back to Mac Geekab. In show 498, in responding to Francis's question, you adeptly described hard links and how Time Machine uses them, even though they are a bit of a hack in OS X. Uh, 
He says, for about two years, I've been using hard links created by Mac Drop Any to sync about 18 gigs from my documents folder with Dropbox. Could these hard links have caused the problems with my main hard drive, just as they seem to cause problems for Time Machine? Um, no, I don't. Uh, I, I think I think there was more going on with your hard drive than than uh, than hard links. Remember, Time Machine creates thousands of these things, and that's when things start to start to sort of bulge at the seams. No, I, I I think your issue was something that we as Mac users all suffer from. In fact, we as computer users all suffer from, and that is directory corruption uh, that we don't necessarily, the symptoms of which don't necessarily uh, present themselves when the, when it starts, they only tend to present themselves when it's gotten really bad. And this is why as a, as routine maintenance, uh, you want to do a verified disc or a repair disc in disc utility you know, I'd say fairly regularly, maybe once a quarter. It's certainly you don't need to obsess about it more than that unless you're seeing a trend. But uh, but but I think that's the issue here. And I don't think uh, rebuilding the DYLD cache is necessarily a bad thing. In fact, it it's pretty innocuous when related to your drives directory. I think you just happened to find the the straw that broke the camel's back on this one. Um, and it, it's it's a common thing. So. It, it more it, and I'm glad you had a backup because that's certainly the easiest path to resolution. There may you may have been able to use something like Drive Genius or Disk Warrior to rebuild the directory and all of that. And listen, if you don't have a backup, that's exactly what you want to do. But uh, really, the best thing is to not get into that pickle to begin with. And so running either Disk Utilities uh, Repair Disk or Verify Disk. Uh, or Drive Genius or Disk Warrior. Well, Disk Warrior, Disk Warrior probably best not to run as a preventative maintenance. That's really only to solve problems. Um, but but using Drive Genius's repair disk uh, or or again um, Disk Utilities repair disk, they both do it a little bit differently. Or just simply uh, the way I do it, John, is I when I think about it, and I'll probably think about it tomorrow now because we're talking about it on the show. But uh, I boot. Into single user mode, I reboot my Mac with command and S that gets me to a command prompt. And there is the uh, command right above where you finish the command prompt. There's there's a, a command written above it that you can just type in. It's FSCK space dash FY space slash. And that uh, will run file system check F effectively the same thing. Disk utility runs and uh, but it'll run it in single user mode so you can do repairs right there. And it's just not a bad thing to do. If you see problems there that it can't fix, that's when you need to step up your game and, and try something like Drive Genius or Disk Warrior. But, uh, but it, it, it is the kind of thing that if you catch these problems early, then they won't get necessarily, they won't get too bad. And, uh, and usually Disk Utility or FSCK can, can fix them. So that's, that's my advice. I'm sorry you had to go through this. I'm really glad you had a backup. But that, that's all yeah. I got. Yeah. No, I'm with you. And, uh, you know, toss in a few things here. Um, I like Drive Pulse from Drive Genius because it does occasional checks for you. Oh, does it yes, do it's a commercial product? Does it do? Well, Drive checks. Genius, Drive Pulse will do occasional. Uh, so it sounds like you do not run it, Dave. Because I, I do on both my my uh, both my desk, uh, both my Mac Mini and my MacBook Pro. I run Drive Genius. Uh, 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 drive pulse. Yeah, but let me let me ask: Is that checking just the smart status of the drive, or is that also no, checking the no. file structure? 
it is checking fragmentation status. It is checking um, preferences. And right. It is doing a volume consistency check. Okay. So it kind of hangs out in the background and says, okay, when the machine's not doing anything else really important, then I'm going to run these things. Um, so lacking the uh, user remembering to do this. Right. Uh, I, I think it's one of the, one of the very cool features of a, of drive genius is that it has this thing called drive pulse that will, when it has time, we'll check the drive here. But now I was just thinking about this, Dave, and I just want to equate this because some people may ask, why does this happen? I mean, what, what, and, and to me, it's almost like Dave, it, it's almost like a card catalog at a library and I'm going to go way, way back here, but yep. it's almost like a card catalog in the library and associating it with what's in the library. The thing is when you're checking normally when utilities are checking the directory structure and all that, they're not doing a thorough, a hundred percent thorough check because that would take forever. It would be like you going through every card in the card catalog in the library, making sure they're all in order and then making sure every book or, or whatever piece of media on the shelf is where it should be. Sure. It would take you forever to yep. do that. So they do the best they can in the, in the time allotted and they'll catch most things, but they, they will not catch some things. Well, what and, and what they to, to extend your analogy, what they do, they don't go and check and make sure that the book that's or the like you said, the media that's out there is what's supposed to be out there. But they do make sure that no two cards are pointing to the same location. Right. And that's a doubly linked file or something. Like right. That. So, yeah. So they look for obvious goofs, yep. but. Again, to to comprehensively look through every piece of media and every entry in the card catalog would be time prohibitive. Well, and it would require technology. the user. There's no way your computer knows that, you know, uh, IMG 1234.jpg, that, that the data that it has for it is what you expect it to have for it. Right. I mean, it, it could say, yeah, this right. looks like JPEG data, but who, who knows? Maybe it's gotten so corrupted that it happens to be pointing to the wrong JPEG. It couldn't possibly know that. Right, right. No. Right. Some of you who are into this sort of thing, if you want to look up journaled file systems, that gets around some of these problems here and that, you know, there, there's kind of a rollback or history and, yep. and all that. But uh, yeah, but I guess the best advice, which you offered and will offer again is have multiple backups and, well, and put and your data in multiple places because any one of them could yeah, well, it is good to have backups. At a moment's notice. But, but it's also important to run disk utility or some sort of uh, directory uh, integrity scan regularly. And again, regular. I, uh, I would say that the, on, on average, about once a week, Dave, I will run disk utility wow. and do both. Well, permissions repair. Well, I'll do permission. Well, if it, so one, I'll do a verify. Probably yeah. about once a week. Wow. Now again, if drive Good for you. If, if, no, if Drive Pulse doesn't get around to it. And the, so that's the one reason I really recommend Drive Pulse because it does that for you. Yeah. But no, if, if I have an extra moment, I'm like, you know what? I should check my permissions. And, and the thing. Uh, well, permissions me, are there's different. There's no difference between verify and repair permissions. I just say repair permissions. And sure. Know if, 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 sure. If they're broken, <laughs> fix them, please. There, there's no downside to, to doing that. And and then the the only downside with verifying the drive is, yeah, it, it wedges your system for a while, even with an SSD, I would say, or maybe not, Dave. I don't know. Um, on a, on a, no, I'm on sure a that spindle drive. Definitely. Well, they warn you. They say, hey, by the way, man, if you run this, your, your, your system will be unresponsive for a bit. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it would be unresponsive on an SSD. Yeah, for sure. But, but SSDs definitely would suffer from file system corruption, just like any other. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what the media is. Uh, it, it's just file system stuff. So, yeah. All right. Well, John, I think that, uh, that kicks off. You think our first 500th, our first episode in the, uh, in the yes. Uh-oh. What happened here? There we are. I thought, wow. Was that the evil band? Yeah. yeah so you heard it. I know. People have been telling me about the evil John Braun. Now we have the evil band. That's right. And Dave, I thought that the band was coming out with some new material for our next 500 episodes. No, they don't and like change, John. Disappointed. They, they, they're not into As change. Some of us. Uh, go figure. That's the name of the band. Uh, oh God, we're closing out here, Dave. Um, feedback at MacGeekGab.com. If you want to send in a comment, a tip, or a cool stuff found, and I think, I don't know if it's going to be the next show, but certainly within the next couple of weeks, we've got another cool stuff found show coming to you. So send those to us, but also send us your questions and tips and any, any follow-ups that you have to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. And if you didn't hear Dave, which... Sometimes, you know, he, he's kind of quiet and reserved, and you don't know what, what's going on there with, with this Dave Hamilton fellow, but feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. I'm the moody dark one. Uh, 206 666 Geek is uh, the phone number where you can call. And John Geek is 4335. That's right. It is. And uh, I don't know what else we we got crazy things going on in the chat room here. The, the chat room is always at macgeekab.com slash stream. And uh, that's where you can find where we're going to be when uh, when we're recording the show and also where we are when we're recording the show. Uh, and Google Plus. Come visit us on Google Plus. We've got an awesome community over there. You and Google Plus. Oh, dude, not not me and Google I Plus. I know it's awesome. Yeah, all, I even uh, yes, all I got of the us, iPad. but all of us, but you and Google Plus. But here's the thing: yeah, the, the Google I, Plus iOS app is horrible. Yes, the the I interface tried it. is I put terrible. It on the iPad, it's it's what? I was going to say it's actually pretty darn good. What just happened here? See, the, the band, band just stopped. <laughs> See, they're on strike. It's core audio, freaking core audio. All I got to say is I installed the. Google Plus app on on my recently acquired iPad. Yeah, and I thought it was a pretty darn good implementation. Dave, you just the, the band's done. Going on with the band. This core audio and this machine are not playing nice today. Uh, yeah, it, I find it really confusing for me managing my own Google Plus account versus managing the Mac Geek Gab account and room. It it there's no way to really control that like there huh. is in a web browser. And plus, when you scroll around, things are flying at you. But the community that we have over there is fantastic. It really is awesome. So, uh, so it makes it worth it. Uh, you know, we all, we all contribute. Everybody brings their own questions and listeners are helping answer questions. Yeah, it's awesome. No, I'm starting to warm up to it. Yeah. Again, the implementation on iOS, I, I think was pretty good. Yeah. Well, cause people are saying, get the G plus app, right? iOS, And I'm like, number one, I'm like, I don't need an app. Evil band. That's uh, dude. It's all, Dave, I think you, Oh man. I think, I think you got some homework. Yeah, uninstall Mavericks gotta, from this machine. 
I'm still running Mountain Lion on my yeah. Mini, man. I, 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 I have no intent of upgrading. I made a critical <laughs> error installing Mavericks on here. All right, let's see if we can finish this show without uh, without it all falling apart again. All right, I, I, I do want to thank, uh, regardless of whether it falls apart, I want to thank Michael Johnston for converting the show into AAC for us and adding all those chapters for you. Michael, you're awesome. Uh, if you want to see the other awesome stuff that Michael's doing, and I really encourage you to, GetAppler.com is his website. And, uh, of course, the We Have Communicators podcast is uh, is one of my favorites. So check it out. All about iOS stuff. It's fun. They do a really good job over there. He's an excellent host. I've, I've learned a lot about hosting uh, people listening to him and perhaps some of that. Oh, son of a gun. Uh, perhaps some of that rubbed <laughs> off in the last show. Yeah, it's awesome. Oh, it's great. It's I not just me. It. Yeah. All right. The evil band. Yeah. Band. Uh, evil. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, that's so that's Michael. Thank you, Michael. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com uh, provides all the bandwidth to get from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes... Barebones Software, of course, SmileSoftware.com, Gazelle.com, Squarespace.com with coupon code MGG, Rage Software with EverWeb, and of course, the great people at iFixit and Harry's, Harry's.com, coupon code MGG gets you five bucks off. We made it to the end, I think. Of course, now would be a really funny time to have the evil guy, which might be better than what uh, Jeremy thought of the evil guy so i will simply share this don't do anything i wouldn't do and no matter what you do don't get caught made up